Friday, June 24th, the Supreme Court of America uh, overturned Roe v. Wade that has allowed abortion in America for uh, nearly 50 years. And while we celebrate this as Christians, questions still remain about what the Bible teaches and how we uh, love others who find themselves in an unwanted pregnancy. This is Consider It, where we are considering questions regarding life, theology, and the church. Consider It is a ministry of Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, Texas. Do you have questions regarding life, theology, or the church? If so, text the word REDEMPTION and your question to 830-299-7505. Again, that's 830-299-7505, and we will consider your question. To learn more about our church and our ministry here, visit redemption.bible. I'm Michael Hawkins. And I'm Blair Cushman. Let's consider it. We have a heavy question, um, but one that's very pertinent and... um, And really on everybody's mind, I think. Yeah, for sure. And so, with the overture of Roe v. Wade, what should the Christian response be toward people who advocate for abortion in cases of rape, incest, or on ectopic pregnancy. Also, how do we handle passages like Numbers 5, 16 through 22, that seem to imply allowed abortion? Uh, that's really two questions. It is. Somebody's trying to get a two-for-one. That's one right, two-for-one. But they are related, and I think very helpful in here, because these, these are the kind of questions that get asked. I mean, these questions were being asked prior to June 24th. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, likely uh, were being asked before Roe v. Wade. Now, that's all I've known in my lifetime, not 50 yet, So, uh, but I would imagine that 100 years ago, 200 years ago, in other cultures, uh, Christians and just people in general have been asking questions like this about what does the Bible teach, specifically in this Numbers passage, and then what do we do in, in, uh, you know, in tragic situations like uh, rape, incest, or ectopic pregnancies. And so... Um, so it's a good question. It doesn't really change. I mean, they are related, but in some ways, I don't know that even with, uh, I mean, Roe v. Wade does the, uh, you know, in the, in the overturning of that ruling is, it doesn't, but it doesn't necessarily change it because we still have a response whether or not it's a law or not. Right. You know, whether or not somebody can go and do it under the, you know, under the law or not doesn't necessarily change our response to these things. So. Right. Yeah, and even as we think about it, it's it, it's now up to the states. Mm-hmm. And so, what this doesn't mean is that you know abortion is illegal everywhere, and right. it will no longer happen, right? And right. so, these questions still remain. How, as Christians, do we walk with people? Yeah, in in light of these things, right, right. And that that's a good question, a good way to think about it. Even as we begin here. Uh, I think it's uh, helpful just even like our response to Roe v. Wade, like as Christians, like we celebrate that, this we've been praying for, this is a good thing yeah. that it has been overturned. Yeah. This has been a, a, a scourge on America for nearly 50 years. Um, I think it's been 50 years, maybe. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, uh, my math's not real great, so <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's coming up on it. But, you know, some 60 million uh, abortions been performed in that time. I mean, that's a ton of lives. Yeah. And, 
uh, and and obviously very grievous to the Lord, grievous to you know God's people, and uh, and so we celebrate that uh, our justices uh, did justice for the unborn, <laughs> right, and uh, and and ruled in this way, and uh, uh, we we can be sure that they didn't just make it hastily or you know politically motivated that. Uh, uh, we can hope that they did, you know, in uh, with with justice in mind and yeah. uh, and things. And so, so we do. We celebrate it. And yet, at the same time, we also, as Christians, our hope isn't in the Supreme Court. Right. Our hope's not in the president and our representatives. Now, we praise God that we live in a republic like we do, yep. a democratic society where we uh, have a, a justice system and, and, and you know, in the government that we have. Uh, and yet our hope isn't in princes, it's not in horses, it's not in chariots, it's, it's our hope is in the name of the Lord our God. That's right. And, uh, and so we do what is right because we believe that the scripture is our authority and not necessarily, you know, that, that, that they are a higher authority rather than our governing authorities. Let's right. put it that way. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and so we, we celebrate it's, it's, uh, this is great, but like you said, it's now been kicked back to the States. And so we live in Texas, which has, you know, some pretty, uh, uh, strict rules regarding abortion and, and all that. Uh, but that's not the case in every state. Right. And, uh, and so, what will likely happen now is somebody desires to have an abortion, they'll just jump state lines, go somewhere where they can, and and you know, and and they'll there it'll be them. So, yeah. but hopefully this will limit some of that and right. and things. And so, um, but really, what it means is we have a lot of work to do. That's right. It means that you know, the, the, and we have to continue the work that's already being done. You know, there's kind of this like modern narrative here in the social imaginary of our nation that uh, Christians don't care about these things, or Christians only care about the unborn. But then once people are born and throughout their life, they don't care. Yeah. You know, particularly, and that's more con- uh, politically driven, like conservatives or whatever. However, th- just even that kind of thinking is is just patently false. Yeah, and I think in light of that, the the two narratives that we see in all of this are. Mm-hmm. Are the polar extremes, and yeah. you know the media is really good at oh, for sure dividing and driving a wedge. And so I would say that more people are somewhere in the middle of this than yeah. they find themselves on either one extreme or the other. Right, right. It's like a survey. You know, any of those polls or things that you get out there. You know, anytime you like put out a survey to people, the only thing are like Google reviews and things like that. They're, they're really not worth anything because all you get are the people that love it, you know, that just give you five stars, or the people that hate it and had, you know, one bad experience and they give you zero or one stars. Right. You know, so you got the opposites, but rarely do you get a, a measured, reasonable, articulate review. And when you do, those things are, you know, they're, they're worth their weight in gold. But you're right in that in, in the media, that's always just the case. It's these polar opposites. Everybody hates Biden or loves Biden. Everybody hated Trump or loved Trump, you know, and it's... So, you know, right. Um, and there are people that exist in the extremes, no doubt, but they're not the, they're not indicative of the, of the whole. Right. And thankfully, like we said, we live in a, a democratic society here. So we have a, you know, so that's where voting and all those things hopefully measures out, yeah. uh, in the end. But when it, uh, but when it just, just coming back to what we're right. talking about here, the, the, just that narrative about it, 
that Christians with carriage just is just simply not true. It's been primarily only Christians who have built pregnancy centers and funded and resourced those uh, those uh, centers that uh, help to take care of moms, not just through their pregnancy, but afterwards right. and offering parenting classes and, yeah. and things. Um, you know, the stats out there, it's like uh, uh, twice as many Christians uh, are in the foster, you know, our foster families are adopting than non-Christian than anybody else, you know. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and so you just like look at some of those stats that, you know, Barno and others do that, that you can it's just you see that it's not necessarily what's being purported by media or others or non-Christian friends who are saying these things. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, just in medical care, things like that, too. Like how many, even though they're not like necessarily religiously affiliated, but have their roots and started in like hospital systems. They mm-hmm. have, you know, Methodist or Baptist or some other, you know, St. Uh, Thomas, St. Jude or whatever. They've been really formed by believers. Yeah. Um, and been funded and been funded by it right and now it's you know maybe it's different but but yeah especially the initial funding in that way and how many of our missionaries are using medical strategies for entrance into uh you know into some of the you know the poor places of the world and are coming in with medical care to help people um and tell them about jesus while they come and take care of their physical needs as well and and so uh you know, so there's there's just all that, and I know this isn't a question, but it's but it's helpful. It's just kind of social context to right. the question here, and what we need to continue doing in uh, caring for uh, people in this, but uh, who find themselves in a vulnerable spot like this, who are considering abortion. Yeah. And so the question, and let's come back to this now, or the the first one, anyways. Well, what are we to do? What's our response then? Right? Mm-hmm. What's our what's to be our response as Christians to uh, someone who's been raped or uh, or committed incest or an ectopic pregnancy, what should be our response there? Yeah. And, you know, with our response, there's always like two things. Well, if we're talking about the manner of our response and the content of our response, uh, the manner of our response should always be humility and love, right? That's right. Um, so how do we respond into these conversations? Because so much of this conversation is vitriolic. So much of these conversations are just combative and uh, and and impassioned, and and they are like this is this is a serious thing. So I'm not saying we're just like resort to stoicism and we're like unfeeling and unaffected by this. Not what I'm saying, but but we should come super humbly, with a lot of love, ready to listen, ready to ask questions, to be challenged, to come with uh, um, uh, uh, with just grace and mercy especially as Christians towards unbelievers, knowing that unbelievers are depraved of mind. Like we can't expect them necessarily to see through the lens of faith because they don't have faith. Yeah. <laughs> they are unregenerate. And so our response needs to be similar to Jesus in Matthew 9, when it says he looked out at the crowds and he had compassion on them. Mm. And so Jesus like comes in, he's, he sees the crowds and that's the same way too. It's like in similar way, like we look at the crowds of people, our society, culture around us, and we have compassion or pity. Yeah. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Yeah. And as we look at the world around us, they're harassed, harassed by the enemy, harassed by media, harassed by their sin, and they're helpless. Yeah. Like we saw in Romans 8, they cannot please God. I think, you know, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they were doing, you know. And so it's just, there's a compassion and understanding of Mm -hmm. just the world in which we live. Right. Um, And 
And I think just as we think through this, I, you know, I find myself coming back to First Corinthians 13 mm. so often um, yeah. in these situations as we, we talk about what love looks like. And I know that it's kind of the, the cliche sure. marriage passage or whatnot, if you will. But when we look at what this this love mm. um, contains that we're called to, to live out, that it is patient and kind, it does not envy or boast, you know, it's not arrogant or rude. And, and how right. much of these conversations do you see become rude and arrogant? Right. They become so embittered with emotion that right. nothing is actually being right accomplished in them right right you know it does not insist on its own way it is not irritable or resentful it does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with truth it love bears all things believes all things hopes all things and endures all things yeah yeah and you know it's just as we think about it in this context yeah as believers how do we respond well we respond in love yeah which means it's truth, the yeah. truth that comes from the Word, but it's also this compassion that right. you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's that's way more elaborate than, uh, than uh, just the, the passage I was talking about. But yeah, how many conversations about abortion that you've had with somebody who disagrees with you, whether a Christian or a non-Christian, that have uh, mirrored what you just read in First Corinthians 13? Yeah. Maybe very few, yeah. yeah. And... And especially so if it's been on like social media, you know, it's just like the the blows that are traded in the comment section of nonsense, you know, don't mirror that passage. And so, um, so God help us in that. Right. But that's, that's, that should be our response. That should be the manner. Yeah. But I think the question is probably not, even though I think this, we have to always come back to this. This is how the Lord would want us to act. And this is how he wants us, not just in conversations about abortion, but anything controversial or anything that's, you know, that that we're trying to figure out and sort out should always be, you know, with that in mind Um, and with, you know, trying to as best we can by the help of the Holy Spirit live in love. But now let's, let's get to the message. How should we respond then? How should we, you know, how should we speak? Um, well, uh, you know, when I, th- when I think of the three, we, let's just take the three categories here. How should we respond when somebody says, well, yeah, well, what about? Because yeah, that's where it always comes to in conversations like this. You know, it's like, okay, fine, we can't. But what about these three things? And honestly, in my, the way that I would kind of view these is rape and incest are actually in one category. And I put ectopic pregnancy in a different category. Mm-hmm. Me personally, because an ectopic pregnancy, if you're unfamiliar with it, is uh, sometimes uh, people will call it a tubal pregnancy because the majority of the time it is when you have a fertilized egg that uh, forms outside the uterine uh, uh, the, the uterine cavity. Mm-hmm. So where most you know where babies are born, you know in the within the uterus in the, there, it, and normally it's and why they call it a tubal pregnancy is because then the fertilized egg uh, attaches there, stays in the fallopian tubes. And it, that's it's non-viable uh, there. Um, it's 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 very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and a kid can't like the baby will not survive to term. Uh, as, far, as far as I know, maybe there's like random cases. Now I'm not a doctor. I haven't done all the research on this, but <laughs> yeah. as far as I know, um, and in our work with Hope Mummies, uh, I. I, I I'm almost like it's 100% like non-viable it's formed there and so what do we you know well yeah it has to be removed 
but I would put that in a different category because we know it's non-viable, not just for the baby even, but also very life-threatening for the mother. Right. And so this, I would, uh, ectopic pregnancies, I would put in a category more like that, like if you're, uh, like if a child or even adult or somebody is in the ICU on life support uh, and uh, because their, you know, their organs aren't working or whatever and they're, you know, they, their their body is is shut down and they're yeah. only living based on the, the scientific machines that we have. Right. And, uh, and having to, you know, what they say, you know, like having to pull the plug or to give a DNR and do not resuscitate. And so an ectopic pregnancy is in, in that category to where we have to, um, knowing that this life isn't going to, to, to survive, then it, it, you know, it needs to be removed. Okay. And that's, that's not, uh, that, that that's tragic. It's sad. Mm-hmm. It's it's it should be grievous to us. It's another example of the of the effects of the fall on humanity. That's right. Right. And uh, and how sin has corrupt the body, and and so there are pregnancies that form like this. And uh, so our comfort in that uh, scenario is that uh, yes, this is a life, and and these lives are with uh, with the Lord. You know. Um, but it's but it's in that I, I would put it more in that category. Yeah. You know, similar. Like my wife and I had similar, or uh, I would say our experience was similar to this with our firstborn Gwendolyn, who lost her heartbeat. She was full term, forty weeks, and so during labor, Gwendolyn lost her heartbeat, and so they did an emergency C section, um, and to, you know, because it could there also be uh, uh, problematic for for Aaron, and so they did an emergency C section, and they were able to. Uh, revive her heart and she was in the NICU and on that life support but there was no other activity uh, uh, you know no brain activity uh, you know and her lungs and things were going but she at one point crashed they brought her back and so then we had to give a hey if she crashes we had to give a DNR heart you know like first kid we were in our mid-20s um, you know just like who imagines having to make a decision like that you know tragic you yeah. know and so, very, I'd say ectopic is is kind of in that category, and uh, and so then, but then on the other side is then you have these things of okay, well here's a normal healthy pregnancy, but the but it's been formed either through rape, you know that non consensual forced intercourse, and or incest, you know between family members, yeah, and. Uh, and even those that the both of those scenarios are so tragic. Yeah, yeah. I think just as you were sharing a second ago, just as we see the results of the fall, mm-hmm. like all of these things are the results of the fall and just yeah. corruption and sin. And so as we navigate right. this life, yeah, like there's a lot of challenging things that aren't the way that they're supposed to be yeah that we have to to figure out how to to navigate um, as image bearers of Christ as right. we have been brought into this world with yeah with certain aspects of who we are because we're created in his image and yeah. then yet we live in a world that has been tainted and broken yeah. by sin um, whether it's just the sin of Adam and the sickness and the right. you know the way that the body doesn't operate, but then also the the suffering other people's sins, yeah, um, and the sense of you know a rape or an incest type right. thing. Like, just want to bring it to the light that this is really complicated and hard and yeah. 
heavy stuff, and it's just not the way that God designed it and the way that right. it's supposed to be. Right. And they're wrong, you know. Yeah. Uh, rape is wrong. Obviously, very wrong. Grievously wrong. Yeah. Should absolutely. be punished by law. You know, like we do need strong laws like this, and uh, you know, men need to be held accountable absolutely. for this and yeah. spend time in prison, and uh, <laughs> they they need to be uh, uh, appropriately punished for taking advantage of a woman in this way. Mm. You know, and if yeah. it's in that same too, and as far as incest and whatever, like the, these two things are 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 wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, but not to oversimplify the thing, but just because something is wrong does not necessarily mean then that we can commit another wrong act and be in the right. Yeah. You know, like what did your mama say back in the day? You know, two wrongs don't make a right. Sure. You know, in retaliation, you know, somebody hits you or whatever, it doesn't necessarily mean you get to just jack them back. But, uh, um, and so that's, and I don't want to oversimplify it. As you said, you know, like these things are complex and they are a result of the corruption of sin. Um, However, we, as believers, we can't do that. Now, that's that's that is very simple and should make it like okay we don't it doesn't then justify an abortion what it does mean then as Christians we need to help in that case because yes that would be that that's like an impossible situation then for that woman to have to then carry the child and bring like yeah. I, yes the 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 difficulty of that and a lifelong reminder and all those things mm-hmm. and that's where we do need to come back in with the you know and, and advocate for the power of the gospel to forgive and to uh, see things under the sovereignty of God and uh, and to help uh, these women and these children, whether it means uh, through adoption or helping them raise this kid or whatever that means. Like we, you know, we don't just say, oh, well, this happens to you, happened to you. Like, man, that stinks. Nice knowing you. Like, like right. no, yeah. we as a body of believers are coming alongside these women in these scenarios mm-hmm. Um, so that they're not walking through it alone, so that they can see the grace and the goodness of God, even through unspeakable tragedy, yeah. where forgiveness can be possible, where love and hope and mercy can be uh, a, a, a reality in their life. And so um, and so we don't just abandon somebody in that spot. We walk with them through it yeah. uh, for the long haul. You know, love endures all things. Mm. And yeah, that's a tough call, but... Uh, but but God has equipped us to, to do that. And so we do need to walk, uh, walk it out with them. Yeah. And just in light of what you're saying and that, like, I think that's the danger in this mm-hmm. political atmosphere in which we live because we don't talk about any of that. It's right. either have an abortion or kind of what you said. Nope. Sorry. Yeah. Like just deal with it. Right. And it's like, no, there's so much room in between. And so to come alongside somebody in a situation like this and to love them individually the way that that we're called to to love them as as the church, as the body, like there's not a a one size fits all for any of this. Right. And what it means then as as Christians also, we need to be interacting with our unbelieving friends. Not that these things, not that rape and incest don't happen within the church or within, you know, with, within Christians. That's that's not the case. All that those things do happen, all that. Yeah. But maybe where these things are more prevalent is in the unbelieving world. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be engaging our unbelieving friends. We need to be loving them and having them in our in our life, so that we 
so that we're there when those things are happening and they're finding themselves in these impossible, hard, hard, hard spots uh, and to where we can be the hands and feet of Jesus, not just in the moment, but for the lifetime. And, and, and so we need, it, it means we have, that's why I said, there's a lot of work to do and it means we have to be engaging them. Yeah. But see, these things are, you know, that, that's our response of one of love, acceptance. like, no, it's not, we're not justifying it. There's no way, but it means then we have to be willing to do the hard work, the gospel work uh, to love them through it. But I have to understand also why people can get to that, you know, in an unbelieving mindset of understanding where their mind comes from is uh, where they can say, well, no, I can justify it because we live, you know, where the victim is the, you know, has the place of power in our society. And so, no, I've been victimized. And so now I can do this Mm -hmm. um, because I've been dehumanized. Now I can, uh, uh, now this is justified. Um, and uh, and in a world where we're trying to avoid all consequences, yeah, I mean that's just an ending pregnancy. That's what it is. Like everybody's pro-choice. You have a choice of whether or not to have sex or not. Yeah. But then in these situations where it is a little bit different, because uh, maybe you haven't, and who knows, the incest is a whole other thing. But uh, uh, but of trying to like get out from under the consequences of that, mm-hmm. and yet uh, and yet. That's just not a reality of the world that we live in, right? And so, um, and so it's sad, and we have to, you know, understand how the unbelieving mind is working and what they're valuing, and then walk alongside them. And so, um, yeah. now I know that doesn't necessarily solve it all, but hopefully, it's giving you some help in that and the manner and uh, and and what is right and wrong. There's not even in sins like that doesn't justify what. Uh, what's happening here. But let's uh, take that uh, next question and uh, go to the, uh, to the Bible passage. Cause I've heard this before as well in, uh, um, you know, where, where people will throw out this, well, the Bible has a detailed instruction manual for how to, you know, to how to have an abortion in numbers five and, uh, and well, one, that's just not the case. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, let me just read it here for a second because it's there's some uh, uh, honestly there's just some mystery to this, but there's also uh, the, there's just some good hermeneutical principles at play in uh, in this passage in order to bring us to a right understanding. Because the the short answer is this is this isn't talking about abortion at all. Right? Yeah. Um, what what we're talking about here is is holiness. And, uh, and, and so there's a case study here that comes out of the context of a, of, of a bigger principle here. But uh, just listen to this, Numbers 5, beginning in verse 16. This is, in a, this is under a, a banner of the test for adultery. Um, and, uh, yeah, well, maybe it needed... This is a big passage here. That yeah. uh, the, the basic here's the here's the case study here. That uh, it, if a if a husband suspects that his wife has committed adultery, uh, he gives uh, a, a, a kind of a prescription here. That even here we don't know fully everything, but he gives a prescription of how to understand if the wife doesn't confess this. And if she is denying, if the wife says, I suspect that my wife has committed adultery and slept with another man. She says, no, I haven't, and he's insisting on it. Yeah. Here's how he then brings it into the context of the community of God's people here. 
And so I will pick it up in verse 16. The priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. So he's like bringing her into the, into the tabernacle, the tent here. And the priest shall take holy water in an earthenware vessel and take some of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle and put it into the water. All right, so he has this water, takes some of the dust, puts it in there. The priest shall set the woman before the Lord, unbind the woman's hair, place her in her hands, the grain offering of remembrance, which is the grain offering of jealousy. So he's giving this here that's been given to the Lord. And in his hand, the priest shall have the water of bitterness that brings the curse. Then the priest shall make her take an oath, saying, If no man has lain with you, and if you have not turned aside to uncleanness while you are under your husband's authority, be free from the water of bitterness that brings the curse. But if you have gone astray, though you are under your husband's authority, and if you have defiled yourself and some man other than your husband has lain with you, then let the priest make the woman take the oath of the curse and say to the woman, The Lord make you a curse and an oath among your people. When the Lord makes your thigh fall away and your body swell, may this water that brings this curse pass into your bowels and make your womb swell and your thigh fall away. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. So, admittedly, this is a strange passage. <laughs> yeah. And here's here's what we have to do. This is where it's a, a good hermeneutical uh, principle. It's like, in passages like this, that where lots of details are left out, our job is not to try to fill in the blanks of the cultural missing details. Right. That God, by his Holy Spirit, intended, uh, superintended over every word that's included. And so there's a bigger lesson here that is, uh, that is meant for us to take away over the generations, even beyond the details here. And, uh, and so, so there are just some things like about the hair and all that stuff like that, we just, that, that we're just unsure of. Okay. Um, you know, there are some euphemisms here when he talks about your thigh falling away. The thigh is a euphemism for genitalia uh, and all that. So, so there's like something is clearly happening here. He's drinking some, you know, some dusty water. Through. <laughs> now, what we know, this isn't like some magical potion. Right. Here's another uh, hermeneutical principle is we have to be careful to read our context into the context here. And so we see curses and all that stuff through, you know, through a lens of like magic or witchcraft and things like that. It's not what's happening here. Um, And so the the question then remains, well, what is happening here? Um, what, What is he getting at? What's up with all the rituals? What is happening well, this is a case study for if we were to go to the prior passage here that, that gives the context for what he's talking about. So in, here's, here's another thing just to help maybe people understand what's going on in the New Testament. So, or in the Old Testament, you have like the Old Testament, the, the, the Ten Commandments, right? That gives an Exodus 20 that are kind of like the basis of the laws. Right. And then really everything outside of that are, are, uh, are, are case laws of what to do in certain situations. Not in every situation, but certain situations. And then you have examples like this that are case studies in the application of some some of these laws right. or what to do when somebody is not following it. And so right before it, uh, he, he's talking about how to co- confess your sin and make restitution, how to, how to go on. So the, the, this is where we, we kind of miss it in verse 5. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel. And when a man or woman commits any of the sins that people cre- commit by breaking faith with the Lord, that and that person realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he has committed, and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him whom he did wrong. 
right? And so that's the principle here. He's saying, if you, like, as God's people, if you offend somebody, if you commit a, 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 a sin, and God, by his grace, brings conviction and guilt, just go and confess it and make it right, yeah. right? Like, if I've, oh, man, I've hurt you, I did this, uh, I am so sorry, let me make it up to you, like, I'll bring you a meal or whatever, you know, it's right. just, uh, just some hypothetical situation. <laughs> and that's ultimately what we want. That's a humble, submitted people uh, living in community under the authority of God uh, and taking ownership and responsibility for their sin and, and making restitution come about. That's that's the that's the ethic. That's right. the underlying principle of how we are to live as God's people. But that's when then the story then comes, you know, and after that it's like, okay, well, all this happens. But what about <laughs> when you suspect somebody's in sin and they are uh, adamantly denying it? And so that's where this whole thing comes of a, what about somebody? And the whole overarching principle here is the Lord knows, right? The Lord knows our heart. And so the whole, the water and all that stuff, that's just ritualistic. There's not necessarily anything magic about the water. There's nothing here. But the, the, the remembering that, hey, we're under the authority of God and he knows and he will, he will bring the truth to light yeah. and has all means at his disposal to bring the truth of how we've lived our life, even in the, like the secret things, even in the things that yeah. we think nobody's seeing. And like, okay, well, I can go commit this adultery. I can go look at this thing on the screen. Nobody's ever going to know I'm by myself and nobody will ever know the, the the warning here is like no the Lord knows and he has everything at his disposal to bring the truth to light yeah the ritual that we see here brings a weightiness right to the perceived sinner mm-hmm. to draw out right conviction and confession right right and that's what that's where it's uh that's that's what's going on here and so then the, the whole idea of blessing and curse you have to also like zoom out this is a a large motif through the Old Testament, particularly through the Pentateuch, the five books, right? If you walk with the Lord, you follow him, you will be blessed. Mm -hmm. If you do not, you will be cursed. And not in like the witch's hex kind of curse, but in the, your life is going to go bad. It's going to seem like everything is against you. You know, it's, it is, it's, you know, you're going to be walking under this heaviness, the weightiness of your sin. That's really what I'm talking about. And, and, and all the way back to Genesis 12 and God's promise, like those whom you bless, I will bless those, you know, but those who yeah. curse you, I will curse, you know, and, and the whole idea is like those that are, are disdainful to the Lord and to his ways and to his people will find themselves under this, you know, quote unquote curse here. And the same is true here where God cares about our fidelity. He cares about us in marriage and uh, and this isn't like some you know the oppression of a husband with a wife and all these things. That's not what he's getting at here. But what he's you know, and those things could take place. Yes, the husband could be unduly jealous and all these things. But really, what he's getting at is not a prescription or an instruction manual for abortion or miscarriage. Right. Yeah. But the reality of like the Lord knows. And he he will uh, he'll he'll he can close your womb because then it's like well they you know if they have a miscarriage and then she will not bear children anymore, and uh, and will have a curse be a curse among her people, you know that uh, that that this is this is a serious thing, mm-hmm. and there will be a stigma you know if if these things are uh, proved to be true and the Lord brings it to the light, that uh, um. We, you know, our sin will find us out. That kind of, you yeah. know, thinking, right? Yeah. And uh, 
and that's really what the passage is about. Not a not not a prescription for abortion, you know. And uh, when when a, a wife has committed adultery, um, but there's all kinds of themes here, all the way back to to Genesis three as well in this of the dust of the ground, and you know even back to just creation of being in the water, and and uh, you know a woman's uh, the curse on childbearing and all that. And so there's just some overlapping themes that are tracing that you know that have been traced throughout the. The Pentateuch up to this point that find their their way here, and 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 pretty sobering yeah. for the people of God, and sobering for us today. And so, um, now, all this just coming back to how does this apply to abortion? Well, <laughs> it's you know it's not. If somebody asks you, well, here it is, you know, just say, well, hey, time out. Especially an unbeliever, you just say, hey, time out. I'd love to explain that to you but it's going to be a bigger explanation. Yeah. They may disagree with you. You know, spiritual things are spiritually discerned, all that. But uh, um, but don't let that uh, bully you into thinking like, oh, well, God does have it or uh, a prescription for abortion or this does seem to allow it um, because this passage is actually talking about things far from that. Um, yeah. So and if we just apply some good hermeneutics, and uh, try to understand what's going on here, then then the meaning becomes pretty clear pretty quickly. Yeah. So, so I hope these uh, things help. Uh, you know, maybe uh, you have more questions about that. People have been asking questions like this for decades, for generations, and that's a good thing. But uh, um, I just continue to pray for our nation, pray for God's blessing and favor as uh, 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 on His people as we move forward into this, you know, this new era of our of our nation, and uh, um, and continue to help the vulnerable and uh, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. That's what the Lord requires of us. Thanks for tuning in to Consider It, where we are considering your questions regarding life, theology, and the church. Consider It is a ministry of Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, Texas. If you would like to submit a question, text the word redemption and your question to 830-299-7505. To learn more about our church and the ministry here, visit redemption.bible. Thank you for your support and listening. Join us next time as we consider it.